Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. The United States is a unique country in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that our uniqueness isn't so great is that we are the only developed Western country that still has the death penalty. We are the only one that regularly executes people. Capital punishment has been in the political headlines a lot lately, if perhaps overshadowed by some other hot-button topics. In July, the Trump administration announced it would be reinstating federal executions, which have been on hold since 2003. Just a few months earlier, California Governor Gavin Newsom went in the opposite direction, suspending the death penalty in that state and going so far as to dismantle the death chamber at San Quentin State Prison, the largest death row in the United States. Going back to the summer of 2018, Pope Francis made news when he announced the Catechism of the Catholic Church would be revised to no longer allow for the death penalty in any circumstance. Thursday, October 10th, is the World Day Against the Death Penalty, and my two guests today are some of the most dedicated leaders in the faith-based movement against capital punishment. Chrisanne Valencourt Murphy is the executive director of the Catholic Mobilizing Network, which is celebrating 10 years of organizing Catholics to stand against the death penalty and to support restorative justice efforts. Father George Williams is a Jesuit priest and the chaplain at San Quentin State Prison, where he provides spiritual support to death row inmates. Don't forget to subscribe to AMDG wherever you listen to podcasts, and please leave us a nice review on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Well, Chrisanne Valencourt Murphy and Father George Williams, thank you so much for coming on uh, AMDG today. My pleasure. Good to be here. So we're recording in advance of the World Day Against the Death Penalty. Both of you work uh, very closely in, in issues related to capital punishment and, and mass incarceration. And so just maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about uh, what you do. Chrisanne, maybe uh, tell us a little bit about your work with the Catholic Mobilizing Network. Well, thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, so Catholic Mobilizing Network has been around for about 10 years. We work to end the death penalty in the United States and to promote restorative justice. Um, we work very closely uh, in the Catholic community with the bishops and with the, so the formal infrastructure of the church in, in states all over the country, um, in Catholic parishes, but also with parish ministries and other ministries of the church um, to lift up and amplify the church's call to end the death penalty. We were started in 2009, so this is our 10th year, um, and we were, were really brought to being so that we could implement the bishop's uh, campaign to end the use of the death penalty, which they launched in 2005. And so really our work has been to use education, advocacy, and prayer um, to amplify and illuminate um, ways that people in the pews can get involved in ending this practice in the United States. George, you want to tell us a little bit about what sure. Yeah, I am the uh, Catholic chaplain at San Quentin State Prison. I'm a Jesuit uh, from the East Coast. I came out here about nine years ago when uh, the position at San Quentin opened up. I spent about half my time working on death row. We have the largest death row uh, probably in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, certainly in the United States, we have about 730 men here at San Quentin. Uh, and there are 25 women who are also on a death row, but they're in a separate prison. So I spend half my time working with them. 
And I also have spent the last uh, year and a half helping organize, um, along with Chris Ann and some others, uh, uh, the uh, Catholic, Prison, Catholic Prison Ministries Coalition, which is uh, meant to be a national go-to place for Catholic prison ministry and people doing jail ministry are interested in getting involved in it. And so uh, just a little commercial plug, our uh, website is catholicprisonministries.org. I'm excited to have both of you on today because I think you kind of represent such like a wide range of the work that Catholics are doing in, in this area, both, again, working on legislative organizing things while, while also, again, meeting uh, prisoners, their families, um, and, and serving them, ministering to them really on the ground. And so I think we can hopefully talk about all of that today, since that's, again, part of all of our, our call as people of faith uh, to be involved and to support uh, these ministries however we can. So, Christine, why don't we start with you and just, so again, you mentioned uh, Catholic Mobilizing Network at 10 years. Now, I, I saw that there's a big celebration uh, coming up, uh, marking that 10-year anniversary uh, here in Washington. Uh, so what, for you, like, what have been some of the, the biggest lessons learned uh, over those years? Uh, what are some of the, the things that, again, kind of get you uh, fill you with hope and, and, and this work as, uh, again, you've really expanded the reach over the past decade. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, well, just to start off uh, about the celebration, um, so it, it is uh, it is a, a real celebration for us at 10 years. Um, on October 10th, which is the World Day Against the Death Penalty, we've chosen to host our celebration because we want to be in solidarity with people all over the globe who are trying to end this practice in, in their countries. Um, and so much uh, to our gratitude, the Archbishop Nuncio Christophe Pierre, um, who is the Vatican's representative in Washington, um, he has uh, invited us to host a celebration at the Vatican Embassy, also known as the Apostolic Nunciature. Um, and so we feel like this is a, a moment that we um, come together in a very public way at a very prominent place uh, of the institutional church to celebrate um, these 10 years and, and this witness, and also the church's um, renewed commitment to ending the use of the death penalty from the recent uh, revision in the catechism. And I think we're going to probably talk about that more. Um, but that's why why October 10th, and that's why uh, the, the nunciature. Um, but we have been at this work for a decade, and there's something magical about uh, 10 years of an organization. I think um, the organization has some time to kind of distill itself and really figure out how to be uh, a, a presence and an impact, a force for good um, to end the death penalty. And we're not just about ending the death penalty, although that, that's our primary focus. We are about promoting a different, more restorative kind of justice. So, um, you know, as much as we're organizing against something that we believe is evil, evil and immoral, we're organizing towards something um, that we feel is Jesus's reconciling way. Um, in our 10 years, we have been involved with a number of state repeal campaigns. So that's where a state may have death penalty laws on the books, uh, but you know, citizens come together or state legislators come together and um, seek to end that practice in the state. So we've been involved in campaigns in Maryland and um, in Washington State and in New Hampshire, um, just to name a few. Um, more recently, and you probably have maybe watched on the news or have seen um, Washington State uh, repealed last year, basically through the Supreme Court, 
calling it arbitrary and uh, racially biased, the death penalty. So that was an exciting development on the West Coast. Um, in New Hampshire, just in the spring, the um, the legislature overrode a veto by, unfortunately, a Catholic governor, but um, New Hampshire legislature had then, you know, this now bill is, uh, is the law. There's no more death penalty in the state of New Hampshire, making it the very last state in New England to have um, capital punishment. So there's some really exciting developments um, along the way. And um, the learnings, I think, I guess I'll just say, um, you know, I did not found the organization, but I, I've inherited a wonderful organization uh, as of a couple years now. But our found, a founder talks about how when it was originally started, you know, the thinking was we just, you know, if we put the right facts together and we put the right materials together and we, we um, you know, kind of presented it before the social action kind of folks within the church and the pro-life folks within the church, if they just understood what the death penalty really was, then you know, we could really end it. And um, what became quickly clear was even among our ranks in the church, there's confusion or dissension about this practice, um, some bit of acceptance. Um, not that doesn't, you know, that doesn't win the day, but it's still within our church. And so I think one of the lessons has been that we need to tell the stories of the trauma, the impacts, um, the, the, you know, how faulty the system of the death penalty is and really, you know, challenge us to think about the sacredness of all life, not just innocent life, but all life. So no matter the harm someone has caused or suffered, every life has value and every life has dignity. And we're, that's the work we do is elevating this cause, um, talking about the death penalty system that we have and the brokenness that it, um, that it, uh, brings in its wake and um, and that we can make a difference and we can make this change. We don't need the death penalty in this country. And that's really the work that Catholic Mobilizing does every day. Chrisanne, I imagine if we were having this conversation uh, 10 years ago as CMN was just getting started, you know, we, we might even, you wouldn't have some of those big victories to share. It feels like even in the past few years, there's been kind of a shift in general public opinion around capital punishment and still a long way to go. But as you're saying, there's been some of the, you know, these states that have either announced moratoriums or have repealed it. Do you see that? Do you see that public opinion shifting, whether kind of in your work or, or kind of more broadly uh, looking out at the national picture? Both, both. Um, I think we see, um, really, I think the practice of the death penalty is falling out of favor with the American public. Um, incarceration and criminalization, um, the fact that we have you know, the most people incarcerated of any country across the globe shows you that, you know, we're doing something very different and perhaps, um, you know, very wrong in this country. And the death penalty is the tip of the iceberg of a broken criminal justice system. Um, and I think people are beginning to understand that. We know that the death penalty doesn't deter crime. Um, since the 70s, this is kind of the modern era of the death penalty when the death penalty was reinstated by the Supreme Court in 1976, there has been 100 and 66 people exonerated from uh, from death row, which means that that's a whole lot of people that were sitting on death row with death sentences and could have received um, 
you know, an execution date that have been later exonerated. So we see with, you know, with the use of DNA and, um, and other means to vet out um, kind of wrongful um, convictions, we just see that there's a lot of reasons and evidence behind the fact that the death penalty doesn't work. It doesn't, um, you know, it really doesn't promote healing. Um, and it certainly doesn't offer redemption and hope for anyone. So um, I think people kind of get that and more so every day. George, there's a phrase Chrisanne used um, that, that struck me and I think resonated with some of the, the things I've read uh, that you've written. Uh, she mentioned Jesus' reconciling way and how it's a big part of their mission to help people, especially within the, the church, understand that and see how that connects then to their, their work um, against the death penalty and for, again, reconciliation. Um, so could you just talk a little bit about uh, how you got involved at, at San Quentin? Do you, do you resonate with that as well, the idea of kind of representing Jesus's reconciling way? Uh, yeah, how, how did you get there from the, the East Coast out to, to San Quentin? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, but first, I want to mention how important Chrisanne's work is. Uh, you know, since I work here kind of on the ground level with the um, all these men who are sitting under the sentence of death, um, can't I can't stress em- enough how important it is the work that the uh, Catholic Mobilizing Network is doing to um, to end this barbaric practice uh, because it's all of the things that Chrisanne described. It's um, it's ineffective. It's racially biased. It's cruel. It's broken. And um, so it's uh, it's really important to uh, and I just uh, am so grateful for the work that she and so many others are doing. Now, for me personally, uh, yeah, it's it's a ministry of reconciliation, prison ministry in general. Uh, I got involved in this as a Jesuit novice after my long retreat. And for me, it's really been the way that Jesus has shown his face to me uh, in the men and women I've met in prison, um, not just prisoners, but even the, you know, the people who work in the prison, the, the correction officers, the staff. Um, you know, it's it's an inhuman system, but they're all human beings working in it. And I think that's the important thing is to kind of hold on to the values of what we uh, believe as, as Catholic Christians, um, as followers of Jesus in this system that is uh, so anti-Christian, anti-life. Um, but what, So that's what got me involved uh, initially back in Boston. I started in the jail and then worked my way up through the state system. So when the uh, opportunity came to work here on death row um, in California, I, I jumped at the chance because it's just... Um, uh, it was a very challenging, kind of daunting prospect, but at the same time, it seemed really important to, as a Jesuit, to be doing that because um, I I feel that our charism as Jesuits has always been to uh, take care of the people who uh, are not being cared for, um, and to go to the margins. And for us in the United States, the poor, the marginalized, um, the most outcast people are our prisoners. And among prisoners, I'd say the most marginalized there uh, would be those on death row. So um, the only other thing I would say in re- related to that is in terms of Jesuit ministry is, you know, recently our, um, we came up with these universal apostolic preferences that are kind of points of reference to unite Jesuits and our um, lay uh, collaborators uh, in our mission. And we, I believe the prison ministry and the death uh, penalty work and the working on men working with men on death row, kind of covers all three of the four uh, preferences, which is walking with the excluded, showing the way to God and journeying with youth, Um, you know, walking with the poor and the outcast of the world, um, people whose dignity has been violated, that that is 
the prisoner in this country. That is the man or woman on death row. And it's on a mission of reconciliation and justice. Um, that's the key is helping, even if I can't personally uh, stop the death penalty from happening, um, I can certainly be a, a minister of reconciliation for the men who I'm working with, uh, reconciling themselves with, with God, with the, with the victims of their crime, with their families. Um, there's so much brokenness. And so it's a very rich um, ministry of, of, of accompaniment, of just being with people who are excluded and marginalized in a really hands-on way, day-to-day, -day, um, which to me is quintessentially Jesuit. You describe St. Quentin as being, again, the largest death row, maybe in the Western Hemisphere, certainly in the country, and uh, describing it as a, an inhumane system. If you, someone were to arrive there to, to see, what can you describe the, the look and feel of where you are uh, so often? Well, San Quentin itself is a pretty uh, daunting place. Um, the, uh, it's, uh, it's the oldest prison in California, and it kind of shows its age. But when you walk into death row itself, it's a very... It's a much different experience from the, the main prison. Um, inside San Quentin prison, there are 4,000 prisoners and there are a lot of programs. A lot of men are working hard to um, change their lives in order to get parole and get out. But death row, they just have big signs outside that say condemned um, in big block letters. Um, and you just feel this oppressive uh, heaviness when you walk into the building. Um, it's, it's noisy, it's dark. It's smelly. Um, the men are in these very small um, cells. They're only like five feet wide by 11 feet deep. Um, they're dark. Uh, there's no windows in the cell. They just get the light from the, the bars of the cell in the front. And it's just a horrible existence for most of them. They don't have programs because they're condemned. So why would they want to do anything to help them improve their lives? Um, so for most of them, they just have a television and that's their link to the outside world. So when you walk in there, I guess the main feeling is just this oppressive, um, sad, um, almost um, de dehumanizing feeling of being in a place where we've thrown people away. Um, now, granted, they have done horrible things, but they're more than just the things they've done. And, um, and I have some wonderfully rich conversations with men who have done horrible things, but um, they're still human beings. And I think that's the bottom line is... We're not dealing with things or monsters here. We're dealing with, with men who are, are human beings, just as we are, who are created in God's image. And so um, to answer your question, though, it's uh, to walk in there, it's, everybody always comments on just how, how oppressive the place feels. So you're in the midst of, again, this dark place, as you're describing, and then kind of tasked with bringing the sacraments and the word of God and the accompaniment that you mentioned there. Like, how do you do that? Like, where do you find the strength for that? Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess um, it's grace. But I think um, for the actual sacramental part of the ministry is what uh, that's the most uh, important part about uh, doing the prison ministry as a priest anyway, is the guys want two things, reconciliation and the Eucharist. So for Eucharist, I have I can either bring or um, go around cell to cell and pray with the guys and give them communion through their cell. Or um, we have a small chapel there that's really just a uh, converted shower room that they built a cage around. So the men are allowed to go inside the big cage and I'm in my own cage outside, separated from them um, because we're never allowed to have direct contact with the prisoners on death row. And we can have mass um, through, this, um, through this metal bar and um, 
I can give them communion through a little slot in the door. Uh, but it's um, it's pretty basic, and um, um, again, it's 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 the most inhuman environment. And yet, when we're together for mass, the guys are very attentive. They share very profoundly, and there is a sense of community there. And so, you, I feel the power of the um, of the sacrament of the of the presence of God. They're working even in the midst of this oppressive, uh, dehumanizing uh, institution. Hmm. We're chatting at a time now where, again, there have been a lot of death penalty uh, updates in the news recently, kind of a lot of attention both nationally and locally that affects both of your work. And, and so I'm curious to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Chrisanne, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, so this recent uh, Trump administration decision to um, resume uh, federal executions, which haven't been happening in the past 16 years or so. Uh, could you tell us a little bit uh, about that, that context and um, how that changes the work or what this means for the, the fight against the death penalty? Mm -hmm, sure. Well, I, w I guess I'll just broadly say that even in the lifetime of Catholic mobilizing networks existence at the 10 years and, and, and even before that, as you say, 16 years since uh, executions have been happening at the federal level, we've really never had to focus on the federal um, situation. We've been taking this um, kind of campaign out state by state and have been successful um, in, in getting repeals and, and really kind of generating a lot of energy toward abolition. <clears throat> However, um, you know, we've always known that there is a federal death row. It operates differently than the states in the sense that, you know, it's on its own track. And in some ways for the last more than decade, we haven't wanted to wake the sleeping giant. And um, kind of, you know, stimulate any ideas around resuming executions. So in July, when we received the news that the Trump administration wanted to reinstate federal executions, it was surprising. It just, it, it, we knew it could happen, but there was nothing indicating that it would happen. So it was, you know, it was infuriating. It was profoundly disappointing. It was shocking. But at the end of the day, it's clearly wrongheaded and it's out of step with with the trending that the that the U.S. Uh, you know that the U.S. is going toward toward uh, doing away with the practice. So, um, so here we are. You know, it's been a couple of months, and as we take a deeper look at what's happening, um, you know, the, there's it's quite interesting that the administration has decided to bring this forward. You know, at the at the beginning of a campaign season. Um, it's interesting that um, kind of the Democrats are coming out so boldly against the death penalty. That hasn't always been the case, but that's where things stand now. So it seems to be one of the ways that, you know, this administration and the, the kind of Democratic opponents are uh, differentiating, differentiating themselves. Um, so that's kind of interesting. It's another kind of factor that the cases that were chosen, you know, they not only did they announce reinstatement, but they said we're moving forward with five cases beginning December 9th and, you know, five five executions over the course of five weeks. So it's pretty rapid when you haven't executed anyone for 16 years. Um, and the cases that were chosen are the, the people that have been named with execution dates at the federal level, um, interestingly, are not those who have been the longest on death row. They are simply 
people who've run out of appeals and they themselves are not participating in an ongoing lawsuit uh, that is seeking to ensure that any new executions be subject to you know, more judicial review and public rulemaking processes. So there's there's already a lawsuit for some who sit on the federal death row, and these were hand-chosen to be apart from that lawsuit because those executions have been stayed for the meantime. Um, so it was intentional and it was uh, very timely, I think, for political gain. And, um, and I think that there is a way in which this administration is using fear um, to um, incite kind of or generate um, enthusiasm around um, their campaign and their positioning. And I think the death penalty, in their view, only adds to that um, more more fodder for them. And um, and so it's really troubling. Have there been things you've asked the, the networks but around the country uh, to do in, in response to this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I. I think probably what is most useful right now is for the the public, for Catholics um, all over the country, but for people of goodwill who are simply concerned about this, um, the reinstatement of executions, really the the death penalty in any regard, but particularly federal executions, um, to just write write letters to the editor. You know, if they're people who have kind of leadership positions or they're influencers in any way, um, they could potentially write op-ed pieces. And Catholic Mobilizing Network just two weeks ago actually did a webinar about um, how to respond to federal executions with letters to the editor. editor. They're widely used and read, and um, it's one of the ways that we can continue to kind of uh, penetrate the public and national narrative on this issue and, and not uh, allow this to happen because we're being pigeonholed at be as being like somehow progressive or aligning with one party that's not at at all um, how this you know kind of uh, how this polls ending the death penalty is a bipartisan matter and there's support from all sides of the aisle so we what we want to do is uh, let the administration know that let others know that you know Catholic Church is opposed to this and you know we're we're not going to take this sitting down. Uh, Father George in California is kind of again a uh, movement in the opposite direction. Uh, this past spring, with uh, Father, uh, sorry, with Governor uh, Gavin Newsom announcing a moratorium on the the death penalty in California. It's not the same as uh, abolition or repeal, but it is stopped for now. Uh, how has that been received uh, at San Quentin among the, the men you minister with? And has that affected their day to day lives, your day to day life? Just tell us about uh, what it's been those months uh, since since that decision was made. Yeah, it was really interesting when that came down. And um, as Chrisanne is describing, it's this whole system is really um, about politics, not about justice. And so uh, in California, the only way we can get rid of the death penalty uh, will be by voter referendum, because it was the voters who put it back into place by referendum back in the uh, 1970s. Um, so uh, we're, we're waiting on another proposition next time we have a, a large election uh, to um, to get rid of it, but the state's been pretty divided, almost 50-50 on the the issue. Governor uh, Newsom was very courageous in um, taking that stance where he said, as long as he's governor, there will not be any executions under his watch. Um, So he didn't end the death penalty. It is a a sort of a moratorium. They, I think more symbolically than anything else, removed 
the gurney from the death chamber, and uh, which was also referred to as the lethal, uh, what was it, the, uh, the infusion room in the lethal injection center. <laughs> but um, they all, and then they also took the chairs out of the gas chamber, which is also functioning. But, you know, they could put those back in five minutes if they wanted to. So that was more symbolic. Um, but it was, a, it was a very courageous move and it was encouraging. Uh, initially, uh, the guys on death row were kind of stunned uh, because no one was expecting it. And I think there, there was a kind of a, this pause for a few days where people were a bit puzzled and kind of wondering what's happening. And as, as it settled in, I think people felt relieved. Um, almost all the guys there have described to me how you know, they wake up every day with this, uh, the consciousness that they have been condemned, that they have been deemed unworthy to live by society, and that hangs over them. So this has given them a sense of hope that, um, you know, this, this, the death penalty itself will go away. Although I should say, and I was the thing, most surprising thing for me working on death row is that probably half the guys on death row are not against the death penalty, especially for the guy in the cell next to them. Um, but for, um, but no, this does hang over all of them though, the sort of, um, the sense that at some point they could be taken and, and put to death. Um, it's sort of like having a terminal illness. Um, the way they describe it. Um, so I think they feel relieved uh, and hopeful, and yet um, it still goes, you know, the appeals process is going on. Nothing, nothing has actually changed physically in death row itself. Um, the, nothing has changed in the daily routine. Um, it's pretty much exactly the way it was a year ago. The only difference is that the men there know that they don't have to worry about being executed, at least for the next four years and possibly eight years in California. You described the changing of the infusion room. That's quite a, a euphemism. seems like we... Oh, they love euphemisms. Right, yeah. to kind of dance around. Sounds like aromatherapy. Right, uh -huh. like the, again, like the, the brutal nature of it can be maybe kind of hidden at least uh, in for some people's <laughs> consciences. Um, so just again, for, for both of you in the work, uh, again, I think big part of the, the work is kind of raising some awareness, connecting uh, with Catholics, let folks know about kind of the work that you do and how they can, can be involved. And there's been uh, big changes within the church as well um, within the past year or so with Pope Francis uh, revising the catechism of the Catholic Church and uh, saying that in church doctrine, capital punishment will always be inadmissible. There had been kind of a, a small opening for capital punishment within church teaching if, in cases where um, authorities weren't able to keep their population safe from, from those who who had uh, committed crimes, but essentially is that is not existent in the world anymore. Uh, Francis thought, you know, we could make this move in, in the catechism. Um, so that, that was a, a big development, but I, I know, as you mentioned, I think Chris uh, not all Catholics are entirely on board with that or might not see capital punishment again at the, at the same level as some of the other uh, life issues that are important to us. I wonder if that is a, a case of people's politics informing their faith as opposed to the, the other way around. But I'm curious for, for both of you and you're making contact with, with people about the work that you do and come up with skepticism, uh, come against skepticism. How do you go about uh, approaching that? How do you invite people to maybe reconsider their view, especially people of faith? Chrisanne, why don't you share any reflections you have on that? Well, I'll just, you know, I'll just, I guess, start from um, a word that George used a couple of times about how dehumanizing um, death row is. And I think that um, one of the ways in our catechetical formation as Catholics, we, um, we need to think about and really reflect upon ways that our society and our systems are dehumanizing. Because if we really want to stand for life and we really want to choose life, then we have to root out all those places where we uh, dehumanize. 
and I think that that's kind of the at the at the heart of where Catholics um, who are still kind of either wrestling with the death penalty or some are quite you know convicted about it and saying that the death penalty should exist. Um, why change this teaching? It's been around for so many years. But the truth is, um, we know more now about the the layers of human dignity, particularly around innocence and guilt. And um, and so I think that there's a lot of opportunity to do more formation around this issue. Um, How about you, Father George? How do you talk to people about this? Yeah, it's been very difficult and frustrating in many ways talking to people. Um, uh, and I've been to gatherings of uh, pro-life Catholics who, um, when I brought up the issue of death penalty, they, I kind of get these blank looks. And I think it, it's often because, as you were saying, it's politics informing faith rather than the way around. Now, there are certainly uh, most of the people that I met are sincere, and this is something that they um, are, feel a deep conviction about in terms of life issues. Um, I think what's missing um, in the debate often is the, the compassion I think if people are motivated by compassion, then they're going to see the connection between um, the human life value of the unborn and people who are on death row and people who are terminally ill. If it's simply a matter of a political litmus test, then uh, I think there's not any room for compassion. And then we get into the polarization that we see in our society and even in the church itself. Um, I thank God uh, Pope Francis has been clear about this. Um, issue. He's, he's also been very clear in his modeling of the importance of prison ministry. He's been doing it himself. And that's not an easy sell for um, even among many Catholics. I think people are afraid of prisoners. They have seen the media depictions of these people. Um, and so there's, um, there's a resistance or a reluctance to get involved. And yet Jesus was quite clear. You know, one of the one of the criteria for our final judgment is, did we visit the prisoners? And I think not just visit them, but you know, it's, it's caring for these people and, and having compassion for, for them and for the victims of crime as well. Um, often people see the death penalty as a form of, of justice for the victims. And yet, um, as, Chris, as Chrisanne mentioned, it's really not a healing process. It doesn't bring resolution. And if we were genuinely um, concerned and had compassion for the victims of crime, then um, the death penalty is not the way to go about um, bringing uh, healing to those who have been harmed. Well, I was just going to add, too, that one of the ways that Catholic Mobilizing, you know, I mean, our, our website, CatholicsMobilizing.org, Catholics you can find a lot of information there. But one of the probably the most compelling ways that we um, change hearts and minds is by victim family members who have come forward and who tell their story. Um, you know, there's been there's some real tragedy and, and horrific crimes. And um, people, families have suffered greatly. But when a victim family member talks to you about, you know, I don't, I don't want another life taken. That won't honor my loved one. That won't bring them back. Um, those are the kind of things, the, the stories and the particularities, I think, that just transcend politics and really talk about brokenness and, and seeking healing, seeking um, uh, mercy. And I, I think that's where we find people are moved in ways that are profound. And um, they lift us out of our political mindsets or our ideologies, and they bring us to God's mercy and, and graciousness. And then to understand, wow, we can really root for life, even in these desperate situations the impossible, we can find life and hope. 
I think that is sometimes too the response to people who like yourselves who are involved in this ministry and work is well what about you know compassion for the those victims and i know that again restorative justice is is important as you describe um and i don't think again it's necessarily that we have to have compassion for one and, and not another but uh so father george ha- when people ask you about that you know what about the compassion for those victims oh, of yeah. crime what, what's your response? i get that i'm sure what's time. your response to that i get Sure. Well, it's not a zero sum game. It's not that there's not a, there's enough compassion to go around. So if I have if I have compassion for the man on death row, it doesn't mean automatically that I don't care about the victims of his crime. Um, there's really uh, God's compassion is unlimited, and as Christians, we're not called to to only be selective in our compassion. Um, I would give, there's an example of a man on death row who, um, as you were talking, I was thinking about him. He freely admits what he did. He even says he deserves to be put to death. Um, but he has chosen um, over the past couple of years to become a Benedictine oblate, um, to take vows as a monk in his prison cell in death row. And he's decided to dedicate the rest of his life in prison to praying for the souls of all those who have died as a result of execution or suicide or murder on death row in California. So it's to me, it's a really profound example of somebody who has... Um, has grown, has transformed, has has become a better person, um, and is has not lost sight of his humanity. Even though people on the outside would look at him as a as a brutal monster and someone deserving of death, um, you know he's showing his humanity, even in the midst of this terribly inhumane system. Uh, to me, that's an incredibly beautiful example of the power of God at work, um, and it speaks to the to the 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 possibility of reconciliation, and healing, even if the person is never going to get out of prison. And there's one more thing I would add to this conversation is that um, we're not ready for this conversation yet, but at some point we have to look at the inhumanity of life without parole, which is basically just a long-term death um, sentence. We're sentenced people to die in prison with no hope. Um, we've got at some point, hopefully, to get beyond the barbarity of that because we've all, we can never really take away um, anybody's hope. Now, there are some people who won't be able to get out of prison, obviously, because they're too dangerous, but they're a very small minority. Um, but I think we really have to recapture our sense of um, compassion and hope and the possibility of every human being changing and and healing. I know in conversations uh, around criminal justice reform, that the very question has come up about life without parole. And it does seem, again, to be um, things are shifting in terms of what we can talk about and, and what possibilities might be, which I know gives me hope. Uh, so you're just even describing the, the story of, again, the man who has had this kind of powerful conversion experience um, while while there at, at San Quentin. Uh, I'm, again, as you, you mentioned, kind of bringing um, the, the word of God, the sacraments into the community there. And also, again, like for me, the the community of saints or those people who have gone before who are those inspirational figures of faith. And, and I know, uh, Father George, when you had talked to us for a video you did for us, you mentioned one of your favorite saints is uh, Saint Dismas, again, who is traditionally the, the good thief, quote unquote, uh, who asked for forgiveness. What about his witness inspires you? And have you ever talked about him uh, at, at St. Quentin, with the men you minister with? Oh, yeah. In fact, um, there was one man who died a couple of years ago who had a special devotion to Dismas. And in so many ways, his life mirrored that of, um, of Dismas. When he, was, when he was sentenced to death, he turned to the jury and he said, um, you know, I deserve this, um, which is kind of what Dismas said to uh, Jesus on the cross. Like, you know, I'm, we're paying the price for what we've actually done. Um, and so for me, Dismas is sort of like so many of the men and women I've met in prison over the years. Somebody who society had deemed a failure, 
had decided it was uh, no longer worthy of living and had um, put to death. Um, so here's this executed criminal on the last stage, last hours of his life, experiences redemption and um, salvation, um, despite everything he had done in his life. Um, just his 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 trust, his vulnerability, his 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 turning to Jesus at that moment um, for for healing was all it took. And so for me, he's, he's such a sign of the possibility of healing no matter what. Um, that's never too late for people to experience transformation and healing in their lives and salvation. Um, and so Dismas is, is, so many of the men and women I've met in prison have been sort of incarnations of him. Hmm. I want to thank you both for your, again, ongoing work. And for me, uh, inspiring and reminder of that call to, uh, uh, Jesus's call to, again, bring his love to the margins in particular, Matthew 25, to go to, you know, to the prisoner. Uh, and Christian, so if folks are, are listening and are interested in, in connecting with uh, Catholic Mobilizing Network, what are some ways that uh, they can get involved? Sure. Well, you know, this month, October is Respect Life Month. And so we have a number of resources on our website, catholicsmobilizing.org, to get involved, um, doing something special for Respect Life Month to bring in the issues of the death penalty, ending that practice, and, and then also promoting restorative justice. So interesting ways to, to use social media or books to read or videos you can play with your church or your ministry or your small community um, or actions you can take. For one, uh, if you want to get involved with following executions and writing letters to governors or boards of parole and pardon. We have every month a list of who is set to be executed and direct one-click letters can be written to these uh, decision makers. And, you know, that's all done just by the click of, an, uh, of a button and you can do it online. So that's really something popular and quite impactful. So again, that's mercy in action. Um, and we also have what we call Faith in Action First Fridays. So you can sign up for that resource as well. If, if folks are feeling kind of fatigued by so many issues to work on these days, but want to do something or want to dedicate some small bit of time on the first Friday of every month, every month, um, you can get an email that shows you exactly what kind of educational materials you can use that are new and timely and, you know, liturgically appropriate, whatever, um, some kind of advocacy tool. So that might be um, writing a letter on a, an execution or a re state repeal that's happening, or, you know, again, raising your voice around federal executions through uh, letters to the editor, etc. And then some prayer um, opportunity, something that a new prayer, something relevant, some homily help, whatever, if you're in a church community and those resources can help uh, with catechesis, etc. So all those resources can be found on catholicsmobilizing.org. And um, there, it's really a critical moment with federal executions set for December. This is the time now to raise our voices and uh, you know, to halt those executions. So would appreciate any, any, um, any willingness and uh, you know, of folks to, to lend their voice and their, their energy. Thanks, Chrisanne. And again, congratulations on the 10-year the anniversary of the Catholics Mobilizing Network and hope you have a, a wonderful celebration. And that, again, that work continues for many decades to come. Well, hopefully not too many decades. We uh, can hopefully, I guess, right, <laughs> shut you all down, right? If you're a successful, uh, ultimately, not in the meantime, again, we thank you both for uh, your ministry, your work, and for spending some time with us today 
Uh, and uh, yeah, all the blessings for you in this in this Respect Life Month and as we celebrate the um, World Day Against the Death Penalty. Thank you. Good to be with you both. Yes, thank you. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org. We're on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know is interested in discerning a vocation to join the Jesuits, visit us at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.